0: Okay, Nehemiah chapter 10 today. We'll be starting in verse 37. Let's open with prayer. Father, we thank you again for this book, for this record of your dealings with your people, and uh, your uh, steadfast love, your patience, your faithfulness to them uh, despite their continual failures. And Lord, as uh, an encouragement to us that you, you're you faithful to us, even when we we have our stumbles and our falls. And we just pray now that you'll bless our time this morning as we study your word and learn more about what was going on in in Jerusalem so many centuries ago. We pray you'll bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I think for reading. We can start in verse uh, 32, and we'll read through the first three verses of chapter 11. We'll stop before we get to all the names.
1: Why don't we read like two verses each?
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay.
1: No. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of shekel for the service of the Lord our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our
2: God. We have cast lots among the priests, Levites, and people for the donation of wood by by our ancestral families at the appointed times each year. They are to bring the wood to our God's house to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We will bring the first fruits of our land and of every fruit
3: tree to the Lord's house year by year. To, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herd, herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priest who ministered in the house of our God. To bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees the new wine and oil, to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites shall receive tithes in all our farming communities.
2: A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. The Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, New wine and olive oil to the storerooms, where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God.
0: Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem. The holy city, while the nine-tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now These are the heads of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah, each lived on his own property. In their cities, the Israelites, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. Okay, so last week, um, we were still looking at this this written commitment the Jews made to be obedient to God's laws, and we covered the part... um, where they would pay an annual temple tax to cover the, basically the operating expenses of, of the temple, of, of the daily sacrifices. And that's what that covered. And then also there was a plan to provide wood for keeping the fire burning in the bronze altar. And finally, we looked at the offerings of the first fruits and the firstborn. And we saw that that was given, that was brought to Jerusalem, and that was given to the priests to provide provide for the priest. And so today we're starting uh, actually halfway through verse 37 where we're talking about the tithes. And we'll see that this is for the support of the Levites. So 37 uh, through 39. We also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the new wine and the oil to the priests at the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithe of our ground to the Levites. For the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. And the priest, the son of Levi, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contributions of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary and the priests who are ministering to the gatekeepers and the singers, and thus we will not neglect the house of our God. So we have the tithe of the ground or the tithe of the crops. They did tithe animals also. There's places where it talks about the flocks and how do they count off every tenth sheep just to be given, but it doesn't mention the animals here. Um. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 18. 18, 18, yes. I think we looked at Numbers 18 several times last week, and we'll look at it a couple times again this week. This is where it talks about the tithes and things. So Numbers chapter 18, uh, would someone like to read verse 21 and 24? You can skip the intervening verses.
1: To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance, in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel.
0: Okay, so this is pretty specific. The tithes go to support the Levites. All the other tribes were given land the Levites were given some cities to live in. They were scattered throughout the, the country, but they really were not given any land to farm and produce. And so God provided for them through the tithing system. And that's how uh, uh, they were provided for. And it also indicates, you know, again, in our verse, uh, verses, it says the Levites uh, received the tithe in all of the rural towns So they're living out in these towns, and they go out, and the tithe comes directly to them. It does not necessarily go to Jerusalem. Last time we talked about the firstborn, they they brought the firstborn to Jerusalem for the priests. The tithe goes to the Levitical cities. Um, And again, some of it will be taken to Jerusalem. But It's kind of interesting, in verse 38, that it says, A priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites... When the Levites receive tithes, that is not included in the law. It doesn't say anything about this, and so uh, commentaries, of course, have some speculation about why do they need to have a priest go around with the Levites to collect the tithes? Um, and since this is directly followed by the requirement that a tenth of all the tithes they collect has to go to the priest, that maybe he's there to make sure that that happens. Or possibly, if the priests in their storerooms are bulging with wheat, they may say, okay, the tenth that we would like from you would be maybe oil or maybe wine. We don't need more wheat. (laughs) So it may have just been a matter of logistics. Um, And then one commentary said, this is the way the Persians collected taxes. And Nehemiah might have just said, okay, this is the way it's done, so... We'll do this the same way. But uh, this is something that kind of is an addition to the Mosaic law, to having the priest going with the Levites. Um, But it does say that a tenth of the tithe was to be taken to the temple for the priests. So all the people had to tithe. The Levites also had to tithe. So let's go back to Numbers chapter 18 again. chapter 18 and this time let's look at verses 26 through 28 someone read those for us
2: speak to the Levites and say to them when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I gave you as your inheritance you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the wine press in this way, you will also present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron, the priest.
0: Okay, so this, so they have a tithe also. Um, it mentions the grain and the oil here, or grain, excuse me, grain and wine. Um, and again, it does not mention the animals. So there is an animal tithe, but I don't know why it's not mentioned in these passages other than... They're talking about collecting things to put into the storerooms, and it's kind of hard to bring animals in and put them in storerooms. <laughs> so, okay, so the verses go on to tell about how they bring the grain, the new wine, and the oil into the chambers of the storehouses. So we have that here in, in our passage in end of verse 38. Verse um, 38. In Nehemiah, let's turn ahead to chapter 12, because it mentions the storehouses here. Nehemiah chapter 12. Would someone like to read verse 44?
3: And at the same time, some are appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits, and the ties to gather them in, into them from the fields of the cities portion specified by the law for the priests
0: and Levites for Judah rejoiced over the priest and Levites Levi okay so here we see them actually executing this decision he appointed the people or the men who were this, you know guard or take keep track of the storerooms and we see all the, the tithes and also the first fruits being gathered uh, gathered there um, I want to look at one other passage about the storerooms in Nehemiah chapter 13, and somewhere likely verses 4 and 5.
1: Now, before this, Elijah, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to, the, to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering. Frankincense, the vessels and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests.
0: Okay, do you remember who Tobiah was? Tobiah the Ammonite. He was the primary opposition to Nehemiah while they were trying to build a wall around Jerusalem. So this is Nehemiah's main opponent. And Eliashib, the high priest, gives him a chamber in the temple to store his stuff instead of the things that should have been there for the temple. So um, we'll talk about that more when we get to Nehemiah 13. But it does talk about the things, uh, grain offerings. Here's a frankincense you know, the, uh, that's used in the uh, incense utensils, and then we have the tithes, and, and it's for, again, for the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the priests are all houses. Know, those who are in some serving in the temple, that's where their supplies are stored. So um, it's, pretty, it's pretty consistent when you look at all the different passages. It gives you a good picture of, of how they collected the things and, and, and brought them and, and stored them there. So back in verse 39, it also mentions at the end, we got the the priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. So they all were in Jerusalem. They ministered in the temple. This is how they were supplied out of the chambers. Um, So what we've seen is, you know, starting in verse 32 with the temple tax all the way through verse 39, is they are providing for the function of the temple They're providing for the priests and the Levites who are there ministering in the temple. So these are all contributions to keep the, basically to keep their worship service running, to keep the temple uh, going. You know, it's like, you know, when we contribute to the church, it's the same way. We contribute to the, we support our pastor. We keep the building and grounds uh, supplied and taken care of. And so we see at the end of verse 39, it says, thus we will not neglect the house of our God. Pretty good sound statement. Let's turn to Nehemiah 13. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 13, would someone like to read verses 10 and 11? So how long did they keep their promises? Wow. They failed again. Yeah, they. So the singers, the Levites who were supposed to be serving full time in the temple were basically faced with starvation. So they went back to the towns and tried to support themselves because they they were neglecting the house of God. They were not bringing in the tithes, the offerings, the, uh, the first fruits as they were supposed to. So, one of the things, when we get to chapter 13, I think we've already previewed it pretty pretty well, but they, they've made all these promises, and they've failed in so many of them, and they fail again. You know, the reason they make the promises in our chapter is because they failed in the past. So they fail, they confess, they say, God will do better next time, and then they fail again. You know, and... and Sometimes in our Christian lives, we go through those same cycles. Mm-hmm. Now, in in the church age, we we have the Holy Spirit. We've all been given the Holy Spirit. It indwells us. They did not have that. Mm-hmm. When you look in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for certain periods of time, for certain... Um, oh activities that they were supposed to carry out and then sometimes the spirit would leave you know even king saul the spirit came on and he prophesied and later the spirit left Um, david in one of the psalms it's one of the songs we sing you know take not from me your spirit because they could the spirit would come and and go with us it's the spirit is a seal of our salvation it's He's in us, he works in us, Um, and I think sometimes, uh, a lot of times, I think we tend to ignore the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're a good, solid, basic, fundamental church. We don't speak in tongues and all those other things, so, you know, we ignore the Spirit instead, and we shouldn't, because he works in us to help us get out of this cycle of failure, confession, I'll do better next time and fail again. So um, that's where they were living in the power of the flesh. And I think as you go through the history of Israel, as we've looked at it, this cycle just demonstrates that human beings in the power of the flesh cannot consistently obey God. But we are given the power of the Holy Spirit in us And so we need to learn to use that. Otherwise, if we're relying on the flesh, we'll go through those same cycles of failure that they do. Okay, so now we're going to be going into chapter 11. And we've got a complete change of subject matter as we go into 11. And this is a continuation of something that we saw back in chapter 7. So let's turn back to Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7. Would someone read verses 4 and 5 for us?
2: Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogy record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there.
0: Okay. So back in chapter 6, verse 12, the walls and the gates are completed. The city is now secure. Prior to that, there wasn't much reason to live in Jerusalem unless you were actually connected to the temple worship. Because, it, you know, if, if you're you had fields and flocks outside of the city, you'd want to leave, live closer to those. You know, this Jerusalem did not offer you any more protection than living in a country village. But now that Jerusalem was enclosed, you could have more protection. It would, would be a safer place. Um, and also Nehemiah recognized that he, he wanted to give life to the city. And to give life to this city, you need the people. So he wanted to bring more people in. And what we see in the rest of verse 7 is he goes through and gets a list of all the families who are in Israel. But he doesn't do anything with that list. Instead, between chapters 8, 9, and 10 is kind of like a parenthesis. We've got the people... um, celebrating a feast of booze and reading God's word, and then they confess their sins and make the promises to God to be obedient. So that's kind of like a parenthesis. And now we're back to, what's he going to do with this list? (laughs) So, chapter 11, it tells us, what is he going to do with this list of names that we saw back in chapter 7? It says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people... (coughs) cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So they're repopulating the city, and we see that some of the leaders already live in Jerusalem. Um, I don't think we need to go back and look at it, but Nehemiah chapter 3, it talks about who built what section of wall. Mm -hmm. And it talks about building a section of wall in front of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And other priests built walls in front of their houses. So we knew the priests were living there. Um, When Nehemiah went to the king, uh, uh, Artaxerxes, for permission to come uh, to the city, he got permission to get timber to build the governor's house. Well, he was governor, so the, he lived in the city and probably the other Persian um, uh, government officials lived there. So, um, you know, we, we know that there's, there's at least the leaders, the, the, the religious leaders, the government leaders lived in Jerusalem and possibly others. But it says the rest of the people lived outside the city, so they cast lots and one out of ten were chosen to move into Jerusalem this, you, know, you wonder how, how did they figure one out of ten yeah. well it's a tithe maybe they just figured it was a tithe of people would be brought to Jerusalem because all the other tithes was a tenth of the people were taken so that's speculation on my part but, um, but they cast lots to do this and it's used in the Old Testament as a way for God to communicate his will and his knowledge to the people. Um, it also means that Lot, or excuse me, Nehemiah was not the one who had to pick and choose who was coming and who was staying. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody really was upset with the fact that they got picked, they couldn't blame Nehemiah because it was, they were picked by Lot and that was God's will. So, if they wanted to be mad, they had to be mad at God, not Nehemiah. Um, In our chapter, back in, uh, excuse me, in chapter 10, verse 34, when they were figuring out who was going to bring wood when, again, they did it by casting lots. Um, So, they cast lots for the wood supply. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter sixteen, and would someone like to read verse thirty-three for us. Proverbs sixteen thirty-three.
1: The law is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord.
0: Okay, so this is how they determined what God wanted them to do in specific cases. Um, in the priest, the high priest in in his breastplate had the Urim and the Thummim which is kind of this what on earth is that? But it's thought that they were basically like stones that they would cast lots and that is how God would tell them uh, what to do. Um, Back in the book of Joshua when they'd conquered the land and they were (coughs) dividing the land up to all the Different tribes. Again, they cast lots to determine who would get what plot of ground. So it was used quite often in the Old Testament. Um, and as you go through, there's kings and people making, trying to make decisions, and they're asking God what to do. So they cast lots, and, and God directs them that way. In the New
1: Testament,
0: too, they Christ closed and they cast lots? Back? Right. That was the Romans, Roman Romans, soldiers. Yes. Uh, let's look at Acts chapter one. So the soldiers cast lots for it was the seamless garment they didn't want to tear it up. Mm-hmm. They cast lots to see which of the four soldiers would get it. Acts chapter one. Would someone like to read verses twenty four through twenty six? They're looking for a replacement for Judas.
3: you O Lord who know the hearts of all show which of these two who have chosen to take part of his ministry and apostleship from which Judas by tra- transgression fell that he might go to his own place and they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthew I guess and he was numbered with the eleven apostles
0: okay so here's the The eleven disciples or apostles cast lots for a replacement for Judas. I think this is the last place in the New Testament that this casting of lots is mentioned. You know, we're not told as New Testament believers to cast lots to try to find God's will for things. You know, we've already talked about we have indwelling Holy Spirit we have a completed word of God if we know the word of God and we rely on the spirit we should get the guidance we need to make the decisions we need to make um, yeah, it would be a lot easier to flip a coin sometimes but I don't think that's the way God wants us to make decisions he wants us to have the wisdom to make good decisions and his Holy Spirit will dwell, uh, guide us Okay, so back to Nehemiah in our section. Um, So they're casting lots to determine who is going to move into Jerusalem. Now this means picking up stakes and moving your whole family into the city, and I don't know that necessarily everyone was happy about having to do this. And so we get to verse two and it says the people blessed all those men who volunteered to live in jerusalem well when when they cast lots they're they're kind of ordered to move you, know, when you have the word volunteer here and that so that raises some questions well what do you mean volunteer you know this is kind of like the military draft where they You had lottery numbers, and you didn't volunteer. (laughs) You were told you had to show up. Um, And so, you know, the commentaries have a couple ideas. One is those who were picked and were cheerful and willing to move to Jerusalem, the people blessed them and, and, and commended them for their positive attitude about supporting the rebuilding of their city. The other thing it could mean is that there was volunteers in addition to those who were picked by lot. And maybe that there were other people who decided, you know, we want to move to Jerusalem. We want to see our city reborn. And so they may have moved on their own. You know, and so we've got this idea of kind of like a patriotic self, self-sacrifice. You know, It's going to be kind of tough moving to Jerusalem, but you know, it's for the good of our nation, the good of our city. It's also, we see, in verse 1, Jerusalem's called the holy city. And I kind of glossed over that at the beginning, but uh, this is not a common term. You would think it would be. It's used again in verse 18 in our chapter. And other than that, it occurs twice in Isaiah and once in Daniel. And that's it. as far as the Old Testament. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 52 and look at one of the places it's used in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 52. Someone like to read verse 1 for us? Awake,
2: awake, Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again.
0: Okay, so this is prophecy. And it could be related to, you know, the the millennium when Christ returns and and Jerusalem then is the holy city. Or, again, we'll see in the uh, eternal state, like the last two chapters of Revelation, where Jerusalem is a holy city. So this is not referring to the current city. It's a prophecy of the future. So let's also turn to Daniel chapter 9. Now Daniel 9 is the chapter where we have the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Um. But in, someone would like to read verses twenty-four and twenty-five for us.
3: Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy.
0: The most holy place. Okay, that's good enough. See we, in verse and Here, Gabriel is speaking. Gabriel, the angel, has been sent to Daniel. In verse 24, your holy city. He refers to it as your holy city. So this was given at the time, near the end of the 70-year captivity, what state was Jerusalem in at this time? Before Cyrus sent the people back. the people are all in captivity in Babylon. What's Jerusalem like at this time? It's it's a pile of rubble. The walls are destroyed, the temple is destroyed. It's just rubble. And Gabriel is saying, your holy city. So why is it holy? Well, let's back up in Daniel chapter nine. Starting in verse 18, it says, O my God, incline thy ear and hear. So this is Daniel praying. Um, Open thine eyes and see the desolations of the city, which is called by thy name, for we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for thine own sake. O my God, do not delay because of thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Jerusalem is holy because God chose Jerusalem. It is the city in which he placed his temple, where he chose to dwell. It will be his base of operations on earth forever. When you look at the millennium, when you look at the eternal state, God is dwelling in Jerusalem. It's holy because he chose it. Not because they were good. (laughs) And we we see over and over again that they failed uh, to be good.
1: Because he, he dwelt
0: there. He dwelt there, right. He chose it to be his dwelling place and he chose to dwell there. So that's why it's holy. That's why we're holy. Not because of any great things we've done, but because God has chosen us, he has chosen to dwell in us, his spirit. And so we are holy. We are chosen of God. Okay, back to Nehemiah chapter 11 and looking at verse 3. It says, Now these are the heads of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, each lived on his own property in their cities, the Israelites, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. So, this introduces the subject matter of the rest of this, this chapter. Who lived where? We're going to have a lot of names of peoples, a lot of names of cities. He's just going to talk about who lived in what city. So, um, But it begins with, it calls them the leaders of the provinces, which makes it sound like there was a, a lot of provinces and a lot of leaders. The trouble is, Judea was one province, and to the north of them was Samaria, which was another province. So it may be. So it's talking about the leaders of the people who lived in the provinces is really the way it ought to be taken, because Nehemiah was the governor of the province of Judea, so he was the only one who, who was a provincial leader or provincial governor. So some of the leaders did live in Jerusalem already. Um, and uh, they probably are the same ones we had mentioned in verse 1. It says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. So it's kind of repetitious here. But Nehemiah immediately interrupts this list with a reminder that many people lived outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So in this list, he talks about the Israelites. So these would be all the lay people, those who are not connected with temple worship. But also we have priests, Levites, and temple servants, and all the descendants of Solomon's servants. You see, they lived in cities outside of Jerusalem. And they could have been living in Jerusalem, but uh, uh, they lived outside the cities. They lived on their own property in other cities. And later in this chapter, verse 25, he's going to have a list of all these, I think, other cities where they lived. So we won't get into that yet. So Okay, we got a couple minutes left. So uh, we'll start going through some of these lists of names. We'll, we'll <laughs> We're not going to look at all the names we'll pick out some interesting information as we go through um looking at verses four through six they get back to those who did live in jerusalem he says and some of the sons of judah and some of the sons of benjamin lived in jerusalem okay so those were the two tribes basically that constituted the people who had moved back to jerusalem um Back in, let's turn back to Ezra, chapter 1, verse
1: 5.
0: Ezra 1, 5, let's read that for us.
1: Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem.
0: Okay, so these are the people that came back. They basically were the ones who had lived in the southern kingdom. It was Benjamin and Judah, as long as uh, also as those who were connected with the worship. Um, Let's turn back to first Chronicles chapter nine. If you remember, Ezra the scribe is the one who is said to have read or written Ezra, Nehemiah, as well as first and second chronicles. So in First Chronicles chapter nine, we have some repetition of what's going on here, where we're at in, in the book of Nehemiah, and the commentaries keep going back and forth between First Corinthians or First Chronicles chapter nine and these lists and say, well, here's where the lists are the same, and here's who's left out of that list, and yeah, which is not that interesting, but. Um, Have you heard of people talking about the ten lost tribes of Mm -hmm. Israel? So we've got Benjamin and Judah here in Jerusalem. Where are the other ten tribes? They just disappeared, right? They're lost. No, they're not. Okay. 1 Corinthians 9. Would someone like to read verses 2 and 3? First Chronicles chapter 9, verses 2 and 3.
2: Now the first to settled on their own property in their own towns were some Israelites, priests, Levites, and temple servants. Those from Judah, from Benjamin, and from Ephraim, and Manasseh. Thank you. Manasseh. Who lived in Jerusalem, were.
0: Or... Okay. So in the first part of chapter, or verse 2 and 3, sound just like what we're reading in... Nehemiah, but look at the end of that. And of the sons of Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh were the two main tribes of the northern kingdom. They're not lost. Here they're mentioned. So they are here. They didn't get lost. Um, So, finishing up uh, the rest of verses 4 through 6, it talks about... um, the sons of Perez. It talks about Ephraim, or excuse me, Benjamin and Judah, but then it mentions these are the sons of Perez. Well Perez was Judah's son. So that's the people of Judah. So and we're not gonna look at all at their actual names. But so we need to close here. Um Eva, would you like to close in prayer for us? Okay. Okay.
3: Lord, I thank you for this time that we could gather and learn from the Old Testament. Thank you for the teaching of Daryl that you're inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach us what we need to teach. What he needs to teach. I pray that we will be able to apply a lot of these verses to our lives and that we will, on your word and that we rely on the Holy Spirit to continue to teach us. Amen. Amen.